The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. caring for a person with autism great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline welcome to autism spectrum radio we are here to have the conversations that will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life now here is your host rob haupt hey welcome to autism spectrum radio everybody i'm rob haupt your host i am a board certified behavior analyst over at autism spectrum therapies an agency providing services to individuals with autism and other related disorders across the country. Um, really excited to be back. Uh, if, if I sound a little tired, it's because it's I actually just got off a plane late last night. Uh, I took a, a quick trip out to New York since we were last on the air. I got to see my parents, got to see uh, my sister, uh, see some old friends, um, and, and really connect uh, back with, uh, with New York City a bit. Got to do some fun dinners and activities and just uh, enjoy a beautiful weekend, really. Um, you know, this week I, I had everything planned out. I was really – I had some, some different thoughts to kind of go into with you guys today. And, of course, you know, big news come out in current events, and that always changes everything. And, and you guys know I'm a huge sports fan, and uh, there's, there's a huge story in the news right now in, in the world of sports. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone out there has heard about Jason Collins, um, the uh, basketball player who uh, came out yesterday and is the first um, male active athlete in a major team sport uh, to come out as gay. And, you know, I was I was reading the stories. I, I'm, you know, reading the different articles and I I had this this memory, this, this distinct memory from from earlier in my career um, when I first started providing ABA services, um, when I was back in Boston, and I, I, I worked with this young man, and I got to know him and, and his mom really well. And, and this this young man um, was in his teenage years when we met, and he had he had some pretty severe aggressive behaviors when we first met. And his mom really needed a lot of help at home. Um, when he would go home, it was really tough. It was really tough for her. Um, and, and there were s- some major, major safety concerns. So she put an ad out um, at the school to see if anyone would be interested in, in lending a hand, working part time uh, to give her some assistance over the weekends um, to help manage his behaviors because they, they really needed that extra support. And this, this really nice guy who, whose name I wish I remember, um, but he answered the ad and um, – they, they really started to feel like this would be a good fit, that he would be a good fit for her son and, and be a good support on the weekends for just the day-to-day, but especially for the community outings, which were really important uh, for him. And it turns out that uh, this young man who answered the ad, who was going to work on the weekends with her and her son, uh, is gay. 
and she uh, was born and raised in a very conservative, very traditional community. And I remember her telling me how uncomfortable she was and how um, she was very afraid, very worried. Like, oh, is this – I thought this was a perfect fit. This may not work. Um and, and, and had a lot of hesitations, but um, ultimately she decided to give it a try and decided to make this work. And I remember her telling me months and months later how it was the greatest decision she made. And she said, you know, I had all of these different stereotypes, uh, thoughts, hesitancies, uh, judgments in my head. Um, but now I know this man and this man cares so much about my son, takes amazing care of my son, has taught me so much about how to work better with my son. She's like, I, I, I don't know how I feel about all of this, but I know that this is a great person. And it turns out that he had a, a, a boyfriend and the boyfriend became someone that this mom got to know and got to appreciate and, and, and really grew to expect, uh, respect. And, you know, they, they worked part of the family. She said, I, I can't imagine my family and not think of these guys as an extension of it. They care about my son. They have dinners with us. They support us in, in the best of moments, but even more importantly, they support us in the worst of moments. Um, and I, and I, I just remember being really touched by this and really just amazed by what this is, what this community we're creating is really about. Um, it's not about race. It's not about cultures. It's not about sexuality. It's, it's about people. And, it, and it's about taking care of a person who needs help, but with that help can achieve great things. And, and this, this boy, this young man who um, her, this woman's son did go on to achieve great success. His behaviors came under control. Um, he actually, uh, similar to the dialogue we had a few weeks back with our guest, Ido Kadar, um, one of the big things that helped control his behaviors was increased communication. He learned to use technology uh, to speak and to communicate and was typing to be able to make his needs known. And his behaviors came under control and he really saw great success. And this mom and this support she had this this great guy who helped her on weekends were really at at the core of so much of that success and and that's all that mattered they were both taking care of this young man and his successes was what brought them together and they were able to look past everything else um so i i find myself just thinking about this and and just how amazing what we do um and and these dialogues we have because we are, we're able to look past so many different things for the benefit of our kids. So this week, um, I, have, I have a really great guest. And, and we're actually going to talk about some things that uh, I actually don't know too much about but, and want to learn more about too. So I'm really excited uh, today to be joined by uh, Mark Durand. Um, and Mark is known worldwide as an authority in the area of autism spectrum disorder. He's a professor of psychology at the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg. Uh, Dr. Durand is currently a member of the Professional Advisory Board for the ASA, or Autism Society of America. He is the co-editor of the Journal of Positive Behavior Interventions 
and has written 11 books, including abnormal psychology textbooks that are used at more than 1,000 universities worldwide. In addition, he has more than 100 research publications, and major themes in Dr. Duran's research include the assessment and treatment of severe behavior problems for children and adults with ASD, parent training, and treatments for child sleep problems. Uh, Most recently, he developed an innovative approach to help families work with their challenging children, Optimistic Parenting, and published a multiple award-winning book for parents, Optimistic Parenting, Hope and Help for You and Your Challenging Child. Uh, Dr. Durand, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Um, You know, I am really excited to talk to you about this concept of optimistic parenting. Um, I feel like I have a sense of what it is, but I'm really new to this. So I was hoping you could kind of start off by telling us, you know, what does it mean to be an optimistic parent or an optimistic teacher? Sure. Um, We've been doing research now for over a decade um, looking at what are some of the obstacles for behavioral interventions. We, as, as you've mentioned, we've got some great interventions to help kids with autism spectrum disorder, uh, with the social skills, with behavior problems. But one of the obstacles that we find is that sometimes parents or teachers are just not able to ca- you know, carry out some of those programs. So I've been studying for a long time what are some of those variables. And, and it has to do in part with your belief about whether you're, you can be effective and your belief about whether your child can change. And optimistic parents are not, and let me make this clear what they're not, they're not people with rose-colored glasses that think everything's just going to be fine, um, my child will make amazing gains um, in the face of evidence against that. What they are are parents who get up the next day and do it again. Um, they face difficult you know, trials and tribulations with their children, but they're able to kind of get over that um, and keep working on problems. So if they're kids in a supermarket and, and screaming and other people looking at the parent and going, oh, how come this parent just doesn't keep their kid under control? Mm. They, don't, they don't panic. They keep with the program. Um, and so what we found is that those kinds of parents are really able to follow through on the kinds of things that we, we're working on. And the same thing is true with teachers, that we have teachers who, you know, will, can be seen they are being slapped in the face and not lose it, not get angry, not get depressed, but kind of continue and persist with the program. So that's, that's what we're looking for, and that's what we're shooting for in these kinds of programs. So I, I assume that there's got to be a opposite to it. Like I think optimism and I automatically go to pessimism. Are there, is there a, 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 that same type of, uh, I guess, um, other side of the spectrum here where you have like a pessimistic parent? And, right. and what would those characteristics be? Um, and we're finding about 50% of the parents that we work with and maybe about 50% of the teachers that we work with in other research would fall into that category. And, mm. and here, what we're looking at, and we found kind of common themes. Um, one of the most common themes is, I have no control over this situation. So your kids at home screaming at dinner table and this kind of overwhelming feeling that you don't have any control over this. If you feel you don't have any control, you tend to give up. Um, there, are, there are other themes. Uh, one is that my child with autism uh, can't do this because of the autism. And again, mm-hmm. if, you, if that belief is there and so, 
something's not working right away, you tend to kind of throw your hands up and go, well, gee, I, I knew this wouldn't work because he's got autism. And we found those themes, um, one I just kind of mentioned, uh, where people will judge you and parents and teachers will you know, get anxious in situations yeah. because people, and sometimes, unfortunately, people are judging you and they don't mm-hmm. understand the situation. Uh, so there are a number of these kind of pessimistic themes. The, the other thing that pessimists do um, in general, but in specific to uh, kids with autism, is they tend to think of things that, negative things as permanent. So mm-hmm. this will always be a problem. Um, they will tend to look at things as catastrophic. So I had one bad outing, and I come back and say, this is always a problem. And again, that thought or those thoughts really will interfere with your ability to make important changes. Wow. Um, well, I want to definitely talk more about this because I've already thought of a couple more questions as I've been listening to you. Uh, but I want us to take a commercial break. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Durand about um, optimistic parent training. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is excited to announce our What is Your Moment campaign. We know a child sharing a hug or a successful trip to the grocery store can be a major victory in your day. Visit the Autism Spectrum Radio page or the Autism Spectrum Therapies Facebook page and click on the contest banner to share your story. Listen to Autism Spectrum Radio every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to hear the winning moment. One weekly winner will receive an iPad Mini. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Haupt, and I'm joined by uh, Dr. Mark Duran today. Um, and, and right before the break, you were telling us about the different characteristics of an optimistic parent or teacher versus a pessimistic. And, you know, as I was listening to these differences, the, you know, I know one of the things you've done is create trainings and helping parents teachers become more optimistic. And I guess my, my question for you, though, is how much of this is like a general personality thing where it's, a, it's an optimistic person by nature, a pessimistic person by nature, and how much of this is maybe, you know, a reaction to, to the situation or, or the environment or the circumstances? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question, and and I don't have a you know a scientific answer to that because we we can't go back in time and sure. look at these parents before their child entered their lives. But I I, I think it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had parents who, in the face of you know incredible obstacles, still can kind of see the bright side of things mm-hmm. and and just persist. And I, yeah. I tend to think that that can be kind of characteristic of certain individuals. But I, but at the same time, you know, having worked boy, for 35 years with kids mm-hmm. with autism, you could probably get an optimistic parent who could kind of lose that optimism in the face of working with systems, trying to get their ki- kids' services, oh, yeah. uh, dealing with the behavior problems at home. So that can kind of, you know, really influence you as well. You know, I guess... How do you go about then shifting? Because, you know, I, like you said, I, I can think of some parents who I've worked with who on day one, full of energy, full of desire. And, and like you said, the system really wear, can wear on you. The I, an IEP that goes the wrong way time and time again can wear on you. Uh, the wrong community outings can wear on you. So how do you, how do you help someone become more optimistic? Well, the, the first step um, that we do is really trying to get parents to be aware of those thoughts to begin with. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes when you first ask parents, you know, your kid's screaming in the supermarket, what are you thinking? And they're going, I'm just upset. Mm-hmm. And they're not really keyed in to the fact that what's making them upset is other people may be looking at them, they feel anxious, they just want to get out of there. We have parents who have panic attacks sometimes in those situations because... Wow not just because the child's screaming, but because other people are around. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first step is to really just become aware that you're thinking this, that you're, maybe you're blaming the teacher. You know, I'm thinking, gosh, if only at school they did it this way, then um, my kid would be better at home. And mm-hmm. the first level is awareness. The second level is then what we do is called disputation. And some thoughts are accurate, but not helpful. So, for example, if you mm-hmm. think the teacher is doing something different at school and that's interfering with what's going on at home, that might be right, but it gets in your way. If, if, if you're constantly ruminating about what they're doing at school, it gets in your way of doing things at home. So we kind of dispute some things. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the common theme of I, everything is out of my control rarely is true. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have parents who, well, I picked them up and we left. So you have some control, and our job is not to, you know, we don't expect you're going to have complete control over every situation, but you have some now, and we'll help you get there and make it better. And then we have a, a couple of other um, techniques that we use when they're stuck in situations, um, and they're starting to have these interfering thoughts that, uh, for example, you know, why is it that everybody, uh, another theme, for example, is I don't want other people to judge my child. Mm-hmm. Um, we have parents who say, I hate using this word, but I don't want other kids to think my child's a freak. And so when their kid starts to act differently, they get very anxious. So we teach them either a substitute thought mm-hmm. or um, a distracting thought. We had a, a mom and dad who came up with this this phrase that they used when their kids were completely out of control and they were starting to bicker with each other. And... Basically, they came up with yippee Kaye, which 
I didn't know what it meant at the time, and I thought it uh-huh. had something to do with their love life. Uh-huh. We kind of went, oh, okay. <laughs> and what it was was a phrase from a movie, but it made them laugh. And, <laughs> and, and what it did was they basically went, okay, how crazy is this? They laughed, and now what's the plan? And it got them out of this negative, bickering mood, anxious mood, and changed their mood. So we have a number of techniques that we can help them say, all right, this is the way it is. I'm not going to be able to stop it immediately, but we have a plan. And that makes people feel more in control. And that, that feeling of control is very important. I, I love that. I mean, I, I, I'm picturing the scene of the movie, and I think <laughs> he uses it to basically for the same purpose of, I am stuck in this situation, <laughs> and so I've got to get control however I can. Uh, I, I, that, you just ended with the thought that I've been having listening to is control. Even a little bit of control has to be a relief. It has to be invigorating to say, I do have control over something and really mean it and feel it. Well, and that's, you know, if you know the literature on depression, mm-hmm. one of the theories about depression is people get learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like important things in your life are out of your control, people become depressed. And by mm-hmm. the way, when people become depressed, they start to have pessimistic attributional styles. They start to look mm-hmm. at the world differently. So it's it's very important to be able to see that I have some control over this situation. I can change this. It may take time, but I'm going to be able to make changes here. I, I just that really, I really like this. I mean, I really feel like we, we talk and, and we talk a lot about support and we talk a lot about community on this show and and I believe in all of this, but there are times that we need more. Um, right. I know a lot of families who need more. And so I, I love that this is a, a geared to really helping support families who do need that little bit more. Um, you know, the, the question I had for you though, is obviously th- this is geared to the, to the parent and, and we want to, and I know from your experience, there's always going to be um, interventions happening for the child as well. Is this something that goes hand in hand is this, are these, I guess, separate curriculums where you say, this is the child getting their therapy, this is the parent getting their therapy, is this embedded? Like, how did this all come together? Well, actually, what we developed was an eight-week program, 90 minutes a week, where wow. we see families individually, and we go through, um, why is your child misbehaving, uh, what kind of plans do we set up? But as we go through that, we embed in that. Um, some of the things we just talked about. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> if your child is upset at the dinner table, um, we want to know why your child is upset. Is it because they don't like sitting at the table? Is it because of the food? Uh, whatever it is, we're going to figure out why. We'll do a functional behavioral assessment. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to teach your child alternative skills. But at the same time, we're saying, okay, your child is screaming. What are you thinking? I'm thinking... Wow. I'll never have a quiet dinner. This will always be a disaster. And then we'll say, okay, so what did you do? I gave him cookies. Now, the parent knows I'm not supposed to give him cookies at dinner time right. when he's crying. That's, they're, they're not stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is what professionals don't get. They don't need more parent education. What they have to understand is you have to get be, sit in my seat and you know walk in my shoes and see I'm trying to get dinner on the table. I've got other kids. This is a disaster. If I give them cookies, 
things calm down. I know I shouldn't do it, but the thoughts and the feelings I'm, I have at that moment in time wipe out any good parent training. And this is what we're trying to teach professionals is that this isn't a non-compliant parent. This isn't someone who needs just more training exercises. This is someone who needs help in dealing with the thoughts and emotions that they have in these situations. So who, I, I love the way this comes together. And it's, you know, the idea of this is something that starts at assessment phase. We're working on the function of the behavior, as you said, and then, and then breaking this down in a different way for a parent. Is this something that is done? I guess who does this part with the parents? Because, you know, I know one of the things we've talked about on the show is like the different people who play different roles within an ABA program. Are there similar tiers to this or is this done by a licensed psychologist? Is this a BCBA? Who, who provides this type of um, uh, curriculum or, or training? Well, the, the, what I had done in, in our research is uh-huh. identified uh, people who are familiar with applied behavior analysis, uh-huh. so people who already knew that part, how to Got work it. with a child. But then I trained them, and I had a clinical director who also trained them. And it took um, you know, maybe 10 hours of training, but wow. how, to, how to follow through in this. And we've published the protocols now so that um, therapists can kind of look through that, you know, BCBAs can look through it and say, okay, at this point in time, I start to ask these questions. I have, we have um, what are called thought logs. Yep. So in, like an ABC chart for a child, we uh-huh. have a, those similar chart for a parent. What mm-hmm. was the problem situation? What were you thinking? And what's the consequence of what you were thinking? So we get them to practice through that. So it does take a little, you know, little clinical training to do this, and that's what we've been doing now for the past couple of years is training other people on how to do this. But it's, it is not something that a BCBA would get in their typical training program. And yeah, it's no. Yeah, and we're trying ahead. to change that situation. That that, that BCBA needs to know more than the antecedents and consequences of a child's behavior, they need to understand families and teachers as well. Well, Nate, it sounds, what you're describing actually sounds a little bit like some things that I've done with um, some of my teenage clients, mm-hmm. where higher functioning kids, um, some of them with Asperger, some of them with autism, but all who were working on self-determination, and we kind of did that, a similar breakdown of the ABCs of their own actions. Um, and, and you're right. I had to get special training right. um, and, and to do some of these different procedures. And it's not something that I feel like my my BACB coursework or, or the BCBA prepared me for. I had to go to some other places and get a, additional experience in right. to feel and, comfortable and it, with it. it. It starts with uh, the message that uh, I was taught years ago. If a child with autism isn't learning a task that you presented, it's my fault. I designed the task wrong. Mm. If a parent's not following through on a program, it's my fault. I mm-hmm. didn't set up this program correctly. If a teacher's not following through, it's my fault. But professionals have this tendency to say, well, teacher's burnt out, or the parent's not compliant, or mm-hmm. there's you know, just too much stress in the home for them to do this. Instead of taking mm-hmm. some responsibility and saying, I need to look at this just like I look at anybody else. And That's what we've been trying to do for professionals to say, here's a list of these common themes parents will have. Ask them about it. Here's how you can get them to practice 
being aware of them, and here's some strategies you can use to um, help them get over those thoughts. I, I love that thought, and I want us to go into break with that one. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. better voice america health and wellness autism spectrum therapies is excited to announce our what is your moment campaign we know a child sharing a hug or a successful trip to the grocery store can be a major victory in your day visit the autism spectrum radio page or the autism spectrum therapies facebook page and click on the contest banner to share your story Listen to Autism Spectrum Radio every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to hear the winning moment. One weekly winner will receive an iPad Mini. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio, everybody. I'm your host, Rob Haupt, and I'm joined by Dr. Mark Durand. Um, when we've been talking about uh, optimistic parenting. Um, you know, one of the things, I, I want to go back to something we talked about uh, probably about five, ten minutes ago. Um, you were talking about pessimism and how that related to some of the research about uh, depression. And... That, that really made a lot of sense to me. And I was kind of, I was wondering if you've seen or if there's any work on the, the, the consequences of, of pessimism, whether it be in this, from a teacher or from a, a parent, because I've got to assume if someone becomes pessimistic or becomes depressed, that's got to have a massive impact on the, on the child's progress. Well, it, it does, and that's we we conducted a study some years ago, kind uh -huh. of pr prospective longitudinal study, followed up kids from age three to six to see what would happen to those kids, which ones got better, which ones got worse, and what we see what we could do to predict. And what we found was that if a parent had was pessimistic at, about their child and themselves at age three, what they started doing was giving up. So uh -huh. they would say, all right, well, we'll just eat dinner on the floor and in front of the television that said every night, you don't have to sit at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. um, all right, you could wear the same shirt every day if you want. And, and, mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, we always tell parents, you, you pick your battles as any parent does. Sometimes you give in to certain things. But when it became overwhelming, that was the best predictor which kids would become more difficult as they got older. Because mm -hmm. more and more, the parents were trying to avoid problems. Mm -hmm. And so we don't we don't drive this way anymore. We always give them this food. Um, 
parents will talk about all the rules in their house of things you can and cannot do because of their child. And a lot of it has to do with trying to avoid confrontations, avoid problems. If you avoid too much, and we call this the concession process, your child tends to get more difficult and more challenging. And so the consequence of that pessimism or depression is rearranging the environment so elaborately that the child then becomes very difficult to work with in other ways. And so Mm -hmm. that's why we've been saying, well, if that's true, could we make them more optimistic? Mm -hmm. And if that happened, how would the child do? And what we found, and we have a randomized clinical trial coming out, we found that those families where we give this optimistic parenting, they tend to be able to deal with the difficulties better. They say they feel more, more in control. They go out into the community more, which is all great for the child because the child learns there are certain things that I may not like to do right away, but I'll adapt to it. So hearing that piece about these avoidance behaviors from, from the parent, I, I guess, is it in uh, the best interest of the team to put some time into de- developing an intervention to almost to confront those problem behaviors? Because you know, I feel like there's times where you know, I, I've, I've spoken to parents or evaluated programs where even the program itself is all about, okay, let's manage, but maybe there's not enough emphasis on, hey, there's a problem behavior here. We know what the antecedents are. Let's really tackle those antecedents and make sure we're responding with appropriate consequences. Does, well, would that and, go hand in hand with this? Yeah, and, and what, we've, what we're finding is that some of this optimism training allows the parent to stay in difficult situations longer. So, yes, my kid's screaming at my brother-in-law's house, and yes, my brother-in-law is judging me, but I'm going to stay here and deal with it. And what we know about anxiety is the more you're exposed to it, the less anxious you become. And if you escape all of those situations, you just remain highly anxious. So what we're Mm -hmm. trying to do is get parents to say, he's screaming. We'll deal with it. It's not the end of the world. And and we'll start to see change then. And so it's almost like this exposure, you know, as you would be exposed to flying or something or yep. snakes if you're afraid of them, this exposure to your child's tantrum, you really want to do that. You want mm-hmm. to be, stay in that moment. And, you know, we talk about uh, being parenting in the moment. Be mm-hmm. there and mm-hmm. experience it. The good things yeah. plus the bad things. I'm I'm thinking of this mom I worked with years ago who had a garage full of everything. It's like you said about the environment, like the garage was full of everything from the environment that could set off the behavior. Mm-hmm. And and we literally had to take like one thing at a time to, to expose her to it. We put one thing at a time back in the environment and worked with each item to the point where literally everything was out of the garage back in the house. Right. And it's your, like you said, she stayed in the moment and didn't run away from everything, but we did it together. We, you know, we, right. we walked her through it. And that's what parents need is, you know, yeah. a lot, some, well, again, some parents can do this on their own or they have relatives who are partner who can help them out and others don't. And so, and people are also differentially affected by their child screaming. I, you know, I know parents, yeah. their kid could do 
blow up completely in public and they go, huh, deal with it. Right. And then there are other parents who can't listen to their kid whine. And so this is what we're trying to do is get them to kind of be, you know, not escape from it and try to get used to it, mm-hmm. um, which would then in turn help them deal with it. Yeah, and I, I hear you. The, the moment you said the word whine, I even thought to myself, wait, that's that's any parent. Any right. parent is going to have that dilemma. Like I'm thinking of how my family reacts to my nephew whining and every single whether it be parent, grandparent, aunts, uncles, everyone responds a little differently. So I got to assume that um, what you guys are talking about goes beyond just the autism spectrum. Absolutely. Um, and I can, you know, I, I'm not a perfect parent. When my son was younger, there were certain things that I avoided. I knew if I'd, if he had his door closed in his bedroom and I knocked on the door, I'd yeah. get kind of like a surly, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was going to ask him to put the garbage out. Sometimes it's just easier to put the garbage out yourself. Right. But at the same time, you realize, no, I, I need to do this, and yeah. you need to open your door, and we need to talk. And I'm not going to have a conversation through a closed door. And yeah. which in turn, you know, he would grump and grumble about, but over time, he got used to it. Yeah. But, but it was, would have been easier for me just to take the garbage out myself. Sure. You know, We've got a little bit of time, and, and I wanted to – I would feel bad having you on the show and not talking a little bit about um, one of your other areas of research. I know you've done a lot of work with um, sleep disorders and, and working with families and, and kids with autism to improving uh, sleep. And I know it's something I feel like I've had a lot of parents talk about over the years, and it's something we haven't talked about on the show. And I was – Kind of curious if you can maybe give us I, I know there's there's so much that goes into this, but if maybe you could go into some of the different um, I guess common causes or common things you've seen about why some of the kids on the spectrum don't sleep and maybe some of the things uh, best practices to set up more successful sleep well um, in fact I'm revising my sleep better book the revision is in with the publisher it's, it's about oh great. 15 years old or something now. But, but the message is still the same. Kids, kids have sleep problems for different reasons, almost like when you talk about behavior problems. Yeah. There are clearly biological components to it. So some kids are born good sleepers and some kids are not. But in autism, one of the differences is um, they often have disruptions in melatonin production, um, which interferes with their circadian rhythm. So we would normally be on a 24-hour cycle, wake up at a certain time, go to bed at a certain time. Their clock, their biological clock in a number of these kids seems to be off. And so it may be midnight and your kid is wide awake because mm-hmm. what their brain is saying is it's noon. You know, it, it's, it's, just, it's just telling me different things. So we have a number of uh, techniques, but the, the most common one we use is, is called sleep restriction. Uh-huh. And it's basically a way to reset your clock. Um, so instead of trying to get your kid to go to bed at 9 um, and get up at 7, we might actually ask you to keep your child up later so that they learn to fall asleep on their own when they're tired. You get fewer disruptions. But it also seems, if you do this correctly, and, and, and the book describes all the steps you need to do to, to, to carry this out, but mm-hmm. it, it, it is, 
you know, it, it really does seem to help reset the biological clock. The other thing that's important for parents to know about sleep problems is we determine a sleep problem not by the number of hours necessarily a child sleeps, but how it affects them during the day. Mm. So if, if they have six hours of sleep, but they wake up and they're fairly alert, they're not falling asleep during the day, it, they shouldn't worry about it too much. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of reassuring for a, for a lot of parents that if they're alert and if there's not, they're not falling asleep at school or as they get older at work, then don't be too concerned about it. But at the same time, if they are affected um, or if there's t obviously if there are tantrums at bedtime, if there are tantrums in the middle of the night, there mm -hmm. are techniques that we can use. And, and the sleep restriction is very popular. Um, then we can do that. The other message for sleep is we design the plan for both the child and the family. So mm. I could come up with a great plan that I know will work, but the family can't do it. And, mm -hmm. it, and it goes back to this issue of the optimism, pessimism. Um, if I'm, there are some plans where they ask the parents to have their child cry for a few minutes. I know parents that cannot listen to their child cry for more than about 10 seconds. Right. They go in the room. So yeah. I don't, criticize them, I say, fine. There are other techniques that we can use, like this sleep restriction, that are somewhat errorless, meaning I know the child will be so tired at this bedtime that they're not going to cry, and they're not going to wake up in the middle of the night. And so for some parents, this is a better way of dealing with it. So we always design it and compromise and find alternatives to meet family needs, because in the middle of the night, and, and my, the reason why I got into this was my son had multiple sleep problems. I know what it's like to be awakened at 1 o'clock in the morning after a mm -hmm. long day and go, oh, no, here we go again. Now I'm going to have to deal with this. And it's, you're even more vulnerable at that point to say, just get in bed with me um, mm -hmm. or to get in bed with them. And this is, mm -hmm. is a very common practice. So we design it around the family. That, that, that's great. Um... Well, we got to take another commercial break, and I, and I want to have a couple more questions about some of what you just said. So when we come back from this break, we'll talk more with Dr. Durand. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is excited to announce our What is Your Moment campaign. We know a child sharing a hug or a successful trip to the grocery store can be a major victory in your day. Visit the Autism Spectrum radio page or the Autism Spectrum Therapies Facebook page and click on the contest banner to share your story. Listen to Autism Spectrum Radio every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to hear the winning moment. One weekly winner will receive an iPad Mini. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Our final segment here with Dr. Durand. Um, you know, I was, I was telling you during the break how uh, your son sounds like me. I, I, I had those same <laughs> sleep problems. And I, it, you know, my parents, I know, got, I, they've told me about this. They got really pessimistic, um, especially when they tried to let me cry at a certain, I think I was like a year and a half, and I literally jumped out of my crib landed and ran into their room they they love telling this story i was way too little to be doing this but somehow jumped out of my crib um I, this has got to be one of those things that your optimism training has got to be helping with because this has got i mean like you said you're at your weakest most vulnerable at one in the morning right well i there's a famous story my wife i told about my wife that my son woke up in the middle of the night and he was crying and you know, out of the darkness, my wife kind of says to me, well, maybe he's hungry. I said, no, I don't think he's hungry. He goes, well, maybe he's wet. I said, no, I checked on him. He should be okay. And then she said, and I swear she said this, she said, well, maybe he's bleeding from his ear. Now, <laughs> he had never bled from his ear before. He had no ear problems. But what did we do? We checked. Yeah, of course. You know, because what kind of parents would we be if next morning, you know, there's a blood trail coming out of his crib? And... What happens at night, especially, is all of these thoughts go through your head. They're sick. You know, they're, maybe they, what they ate today was bad or something. Your, your mind starts to do those things instead of focusing on, no, this is a typical problem. We can deal with it um, and, and, and not do the wrong thing, which is what we were starting to do, which was go in and pick them up and calm them down. So those thoughts, as you said, are are maybe even more prevalent when you're tired, when you're stressed, um, and it's the middle of the night and you just want to go back to sleep. Yeah, you, know, you you just kind of said something that made me just really solidified in my head. It's it's not about desire. You know, like my parents had the desire to do this. It sounds like you and your wife clearly we're going to go check on the ear because we desire to help our kid. Right. So it, it, this optimism versus pessimism, it has nothing to do with desire. It's truly, it, it's, it's thoughts. And I, and I feel like that's something that I wasn't clear on when we started this conversation at the beginning of the hour. Yes. It, it, you know, they, there are, you, you know, you have a tendency to kind of perseverate in your own mind. What's going on here? And without, you know, when, when those negative thoughts start to happen, you kind of lose the will to continue to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so the thoughts can literally change your behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we, again, we, what we try to get with par- to do with parents is become aware of what you're thinking, question them, um, is this really true? And then if you, you know, you're starting to lose it, what, what can I do to substitute that thought? Or what can I do to kind of change my mood at this point to go, you know, this will be okay. And, we're, we're doing that with problems around sleep. We're doing that with problems during the day, meal times, tr- transitions, you name it. Um, mm-hmm. be, teaching parents and, importantly, teaching teachers, too, that this co- child can behave better mm-hmm. and you are capable of making these changes. 
you know, for for whether it be parents who are interested in this, uh, BCBAs like myself who are interested in this, you know, where can we – what's the best way for us to get more information on what we've been talking about today? Well, I wrote um, a couple of books. One okay. book is called Optimistic Parenting, and mm-hmm. that's a self-help guide for parents. So it really – it, it talks about how you would do functional assessments with a child and, mm-hmm. and teach alternative behaviors, but half of the book is about what we've just discussed. So mm-hmm. what are common themes? How can I practice at home being aware of what I'm thinking? So, and, and we've gotten, um, as you said in the opening, the, the book has won a number of awards, and it it's, um, really seems to be helpful for a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. We also, I have published protocols, um, and it's called Helping Parents with Challenging Children through Oxford University Press, and that's for therapists, and it's literally step by step by step. First you cover this, here are the forms, there's a therapist or a facilitator form uh, book, and then there's a parent workbook that goes along with it, and that's for someone like yourself who might want more information about how I can incorporate this into what I'm doing with my, with my families. So, and that's based on our randomized clinical trials. So we, we took the protocols, exactly what the, each of the facilitators did, step by step for each session, mm-hmm. and describe um, how, to, how to follow through with that. Um, so that's, those are two, area, two ways that people can get more information. Awesome. And thank you. I, I just wrote it down because I, I, I want to go look it up and get it myself to to see the different procedures more closely. Great. Um, well, I, I really appreciate you being on the show today. I know I've learned a lot. I, I really enjoyed our conversation um, and uh, just appreciate this, uh, I guess, a different perspective at looking at how we how I as a professional can support the families I work with. So um, thank you so much for being our guest. Well, thank you for inviting me. This, this is great. Awesome. Um, well, we've got a couple minutes left with the show, everybody, and I I want to make sure we announce our our winner of this week's uh, iPad Mini. Uh, but before we do, I, I you know, like I said uh, to Dr. Durand, I I hope you guys out there um, were able to get some of the same things. And if you are um, in a, in a similar position where you know these thoughts are going through um, your head and you feel like this is an area to look into, you know, talking to your team, looking up some of these materials, um, looking up Dr. Duran's book, because I, I, I really see this in a different way. And I feel like we can make our interventions regardless of, of exactly which one you're working with stronger, better, more supportive. Um, So I really encourage you guys, if you guys, if this resonated at all, you know, please you know, take these next steps because I think these are some great resources that I know we haven't talked about on the show. And I know I personally am going to follow up on uh, to learn even more about it since I I really feel uh, passionately about what this discussion was. But let's get to our host or sorry, our host. Let's get to our winner. Um, Today, uh, our entry is from uh, Luvia C. Um, She said, my son is about to be 10 and is still in a pull up. Um, we have been doing ABA for about five years now and toileting has been a major problem from the beginning. Just getting him near a bathroom was a full blown tantrum lasting up to 45 to 60 minutes. Last week we were at our local target doing our groceries and our son says toilet toilet. My husband immediately takes him to the restroom inside the target 
And after a couple minutes, I hear him yell, good job, baby, good job. They come out of the restroom, and my husband has tears in his eyes and tells me that he went poo in the toilet. Needless to say that we were over the moon. All of those years of hard work had finally paid off. The best part about the whole thing was the look of proudness on my son's face. I will never forget that. <sighs> um, thank you, Luvia. That was an amazing moment. Um, I think every parent out there can really relate to the the challenges of toileting, especially in a place like Target and these public locations. And that is a, a, an amazing success. Um, we are going to post this story on Facebook tomorrow so everyone else can get a chance to read it. Um, and also, uh, you are the winner of a new iPad mini, which hopefully can lead to even more great moments and more great successes, uh, whether they just be fun or, or maybe as part of uh, therapy. Um, we got about two minutes left, and I just want to thank all of you guys for tuning in. Um, we are coming to the end of April. Tomorrow is actually May 1st. Um, but we're going to kind of keep this same theme going. Uh, we're going to keep the contest going. We're going to keep this idea of awareness that we've been talking about going into May. Um, I want to keep this type of dialogue going. Um, it is really important. I feel like we've been tackling some really great conversations, some really great issues, things that we've never talked about on the show this past month, we've been talking about for the first time, and we're going to continue that next week. I'm going to be joined by Ahmed Islam, who is the founder of Gabriel's Horn, uh, an incredible nonprofit that is really doing some different work and starting some different conversations that we don't have every day. And so next week, we're going to talk to him about um, what he's seeing, how he's been building a community, and some of the key issues um, that he's been finding in uh, not just our autism community, but in the greater community at large um, that he has been uh, trying to change and, and trying to educate people about. So I'm really excited about that and, and to have this uh, just unique and fresh conversation. Um, as always, if you've got questions, if you've got feedback, please email us at more info at autismtherapies.com. I am starting to pool your questions together so we can do another mailbag show, which I'm really excited about. Um, you can also check in with us on our Facebook page um, as you guys have, have been doing a great job of, of sending the kudos, sending the thumbs up to all of our contest winners, which uh, I know everyone has really appreciated and just led to a lot of great smiles um, here with everyone I work with because some of you guys have also been sharing some extra successful moments of your own, which are super cool. Um, so as always, I hope you guys have a fabulous week. I hope you have a great weekend and I will talk to you next Tuesday. Take care, everybody. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.